0: Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: The Volume. No! Oh my God, how could he do that? Are you on? Donate to
3: Charles Darwin, the
1: nerves is where it's at.
4: Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brever, and alongside me is Logan Camden. And today we are joined by a special guest and friend of the show, Jokic Joe Star, aka Jack, Mr. Joe Star. How are we doing today?
3: I'm doing wonderful. Uh, I'm here to, on behalf of the league, I'm going to plug Adam Silver's uh, brand new idea. We're going to make sure that it gets good representation, good press, and uh, yeah, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me on.
4: Yeah, well, we try to make most of our guests just uh, PR mouthpieces. So with that being said, (laughs) we are really into the throes of the in-season tournament now. We had a couple good games yesterday and the day before that, and heading on to the semifinals now, What's been your take on just that experience as a whole, Jack? We'll start with you. The in-season tournament, what are your overall thoughts?
3: Um, I will say I was hesitant going into it yeah. because like, you, there was a lot uh, that was unknown. And I think the big one for me was like, are the players going to care? That's the big hurdle. 100%. And they clearly do and everything else has like like once you clear that it, there's really no problem like it's been so much fun they've been way more intense basketball games like we usually get one or two of these in uh like a week mm-hmm. during december or november like it's not the crazy intense basketball you look for towards the end of the season when you're deciding seating or, or things like that but uh it's really nice to just have them like. It's essentially just, like, good, fun games built into the schedule yeah. where you know teams are going to give 110% and they want to win. And it's been, yeah, it's been phenomenal. It's worked out. Um, Both games yesterday, I know Giannis tweaked his ankle and maybe Booker did too. Someone in the Suns game did as well. Both guys just, like, immediately played through it, did not miss a beat, and were, like, diving on the ground for loose balls 30 seconds later. it was. It's been really fun to watch. It's absolutely rocked dude it has been a ton of fun to watch and i
1: think you hit on the biggest key thing where are the players gonna buy in right because at the initial uh at the beginning of all this it was like oh you know it's not the playoffs it's not the finals are these guys really gonna care but you're exactly right man i've absolutely loved the atmosphere and energy that we've seen from the players like uh the fans have really taken it seriously the players have really taken pride in playing hard in all these games and you're, you're right dude it's like how are we going to turn down more competitive fun basketball games where these guys are playing their asses off? That's also kind of what I make what I, I I think it makes these games more interesting because you actually get to see these guys under the microscope a little bit more with a little bit more pressure on their shoulders. That's why it makes like, you talk about the games last night, the Suns Lakers game. It's like, damn man, are the Suns going to do this in an elimination game in the playoffs or in the first round? You know, are we going to see them put up, you know, damn near 30 turnovers. I'm going to see these real slop fest. It's, that's the coolest thing to me is seeing these guys in an early pressure situation when normally it's a loose part of the schedule, you're not playing super hard and there is incentive, man. It's cool. You get to go to Vegas on a little bit of a mid-season trip with the fellas. You get some money in your pocket. You know, you get 500,000 for winning it, 200,000 for making it to the finals and then uh I think 50,000 for winning in the quarter and 100 in the semis. It's I think it's been a home run from the NBA, and I think it's one of the best ideas that they've had in years, man. It's been a big deal, and like you said, man, we've gotten a lot of close games and big basketball moments. I think the fans and players alike have really enjoyed it, and I'm, uh, I've been super satisfied, man. I'm, I thought this might flop, but I think it's been a home run. It has been a home run, much better than I would have expected, and the
4: key reason exactly what you guys laid out. I was scrambling thinking, do we need to add more incentives here? And I thought, well, just giving like an automatic playoff spot, that's going too far, especially when we've already introduced the play-in draft compensation. Is that sort of crossing lanes here? And are the players really going to care about that? Like, I really did not anticipate dudes just intrinsically caring this much about Basically an invention this year. I was like, there's no historical precedent. This isn't something that you're going to view as having an impact on your legacy. Are guys really going to get fired up for these games and give it their all? And they consistently have. And I think I just become so jaded about NBA stars caring about the regular season at all. And Adam Silver and the league as a whole made just incredible changes this offseason because we have the introduction of this, which has been a home run. We have the changed rest rules where you can't just sit multiple stars in the same game. They have to be available for all national TV and in-season tournament games. And it has led to, in my opinion, like the most consistently enjoyable first six weeks of an NBA season in a long time because not only is the league so stacked with talent and almost every team is competitive and has a really fun, exciting player to watch, But these dudes are out there, they're available, and now they're even more committed because of this in-season tournament. It's just been some really great fixes to problems that I wasn't sure had easy solutions at this stage, just with how far regular season effort has gone down. So I think it's fantastic on multiple fronts.
3: Yeah, um, I think I really underestimated what, uh, like, how much these professional basketball players want to win basketball games it was something that like we as fans uh especially like us in the quote-unquote like social media space so much emphasis on the playoffs and on Mm -hmm. championships uh and it's to the extent where like we assume that nobody is going to care about anything besides those two things but these guys who like have dedicated their entire lives to getting as good as possible at basketball I've really underestimated how much they would want to win something like this and I think it's really cool when you look at it from the perspective that if they're able to establish this as a like something that would kind of like be in your legacy like something that's Mm -hmm. like you know he was really good in the in-season tournament a couple years in a row or something like that or this team won the in-season tournament he was that mvp the all-star game mvp and the finals mvp like Mm -hmm. if it's another thing that uh can just like really get solidified into the nba's regular season i think the way that players care about it will even be compounded and i i think it's a very uh, commendable on the part of the players to it wouldn't work if they didn't care and I'm very happy that they do and I think that's applicable on the individual
1: and the team scale too right Uh, it's another accolade and more hardware for guys to put on their mantle you know we won the in season tournament but I think for young groups and young teams it's an early prove it test at the start of the season like you see these young rosters that are you know getting better Uh, if it's the pacers if it's the pelicans who have already punched their ticket right it's like oh, well, we can go far in the in-season tournament. We can win this thing. Why can't we do this in the playoffs? You know what I mean? This is a big stage. We proved it to ourselves against big-time competition. Uh, it, it is commendable, dude, and they've all taken it super seriously. I just think it's another... I, I, I think it's meaningful. You know, I think it already does mean something. Like it, like you guys said, it's like... Uh, I don't know. It's not it, uh, The journey is a part of the destination. You know, it's not just about getting the hardware. The players playing this hard have made it meaningful already and uh yeah i'm just super excited the guys have taken pride of it and i think you're exactly right jack like moving forward i think this sets a really good precedent for teams to take pride in this moving forward like i think it i don't know i think it's a staple for years to come man yeah and
4: just to that same point of the good players on good teams giving effort that's been good for legitimizing the tournament it's been good for leading to a really high quality knockout bracket like there's no team that was left in the quarterfinals here like how did they get here like did, did teams just take nights off against them they're gonna suck to watch it's not necessarily the eight best teams in the league but it's eight of the top half of the league and that's great and I also love the format when I first heard about this idea before we had the details I was like so are we just gonna stop the season for 10-12 days and play this in-season tournament that nobody's ever had any experience with before but integrating it so seamlessly with the regular season where you are literally just adding stakes to what would otherwise be just your average regular season tuesday night game it's been really phenomenal all around so you talked a little bit logan about the game that we did see yesterday between the lakers and Suns. really competitive really down to the wire really fun what did you take away from that
1: that was a tough one man i A really great game. You know, we talk about the atmosphere that the end-season tournament provided. I think that's exactly why uh, we've seen some of these super competitive games. Again, guys taking pride in it, but it's like the Stars want to show out too. Like LeBron, uh, I mean, just put the Lakers on his back for portions of this game. And again, you see a a contrast of this too where the Suns just, I mean, crumble under pressure to start this game. So many turnovers. Also, I want to give a big shout-out to LeBron for, man, dude, We we, uh, Carson, you tweeted out something earlier today. I'll let you uh, say that stat. I'm assuming you've got that prepped. Uh, LeBron's been phenomenal offensively, dude, defensively in this game too. I was astounded at the level of effort that he was providing. Um, And again, man, I I think the, because we're all taking it so seriously, I, I think it's cool that they just provide bigger stages for these guys to ball on, like Grayson Allen coming out of this game and putting on a show. And then Austin Reeves in the third and fourth quarter going to work, man. Uh, I think the big takeaway is that for for me about the Suns, if we're doing bigger key takeaways in these games, uh, the Suns, I'm a little bit more worried about their depth and concerned. Uh, Other guys just making shots, picking up their slack. I'm worried about this team just playing. They they like to play fast. I thought they got themselves into trouble again with all of the turnovers, trying to uh, capitalize on mistakes. But Uh, On the flip side of this for the Lakers, I was just really, really impressed with LeBron and the tenacious effort that we got out of the Lakers in the first half. I don't know about you guys. I was super disappointed in the second half. Like, the first half, I was going, man, dude, this is an awesome half of Lakers basketball. They were engaged defensively. The effort was there. They looked tenacious. Like, you know, Jared Vanderbilt comes back. Everything was clicking. And then in the second half, they just come out flat again. And that's where I've really just been disappointed. I want... (laughs) oh man I feel like I'm back in the 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 playoffs last year with the Lakers I want to see a complete game of engaged Lakers basketball start wire to wire and we don't get it once again same things about these teams man we do the show with Jason they're the same old uh they are who we thought they were I want to see these teams really get over the hump and prove it that they have real identities and real positive identities. The Suns are playing sloppy basketball, and I don't know if we can rely on their depth, and the Lakers need to prove to me that they can play an entire game of basketball where they're locked in, but LeBron looked like a superhuman. It is remarkable the things that he is doing at 39 years of age, something we've truly never seen in the NBA before, and uh, I still think both of these teams are top contenders, but Uh, again man it's another in-season tournament game where uh the pressure's on and we see both of these teams I think elevate uh their games to the level but I don't know a lot of similar takeaways from the first uh month of basketball that uh that I think we've had
3: damn those bars those I mean (laughs) what a beautiful um soliloquy (laughs) I, I don't know what I'm going for there but yeah that was that was very you captured a lot of my thoughts as well um I think the first thing that jumped out to me was a fucking shout-out to Adam Silver one more time. This is probably the highest-stakes Durant-LeBron matchup we've seen since the last time they played in the finals, just in terms of, like, they haven't in a long time. They haven't played each other, but just we haven't— gotten a game where the crowd's in it like that and like uh especially in the second half once shit really broke down offensively for both teams and it just felt like we had these long stretches I know the Lakers missed like 10 straight shots at one point in the third quarter that uh really let Phoenix get back into the ball game when they came into the second half like down 12 or whatever. And that is a testament to how the Lakers did not really play a complete game of basketball last night. But it's also, it just like uh, builds a lot of tension in the air when you're watching you're like, oh my god, can these guys like, there's a lid on the basket. And then they finally get one to go in and it start like heavyweights throwing punches at each other after that. It was a beautiful game. I think uh, my big takeaway from the Suns perspective was... If you look at all the best teams in the West right now, they're huge, uh, and the Suns feel like a team that is very susceptible to size outside of the center position. Durant's tall, um it's still hard for him to go body-to-body body at this point in his career with a guy like Aaron Gordon or uh, Kyle Anderson. Kyle Anderson's not going to get rebounds over him, but he's going to make it like difficult for a guy like Kevin Durant. And I think the Suns really struggled with offensive rebounding and turnovers. And if you extrapolate that into a seven-game series, it's probably not going to go seven games if you're playing one of the best teams in the West. Uh, maybe if Beal's back and Booker isn't like, just like, three dribbles into a pump fake and then getting clamped by Torian Prince the way it happened the entire second half last night. Maybe if you get the better version of Booker, shit like that doesn't happen and the offense doesn't break down the way that it did. But if you're susceptible to having those nights, uh, I would be a little bit nervous. You can't have no depth, no defense, and then one of your stars just, like, not show up sometimes.
4: I think that you hit on the exact point that stood out to me in this game, Jack, and that is just... That the Lakers are a really really tough matchup for the Suns because of their overwhelming physical advantages. And they're now 3 and 0 against Phoenix this season. This was the first one where they faced KD and Book one time it was just KD, one time it was KD and Beal, but that's the only way really to win a game where you shoot 40% from the field and 30% from deep. Or excuse me, 40% on twos and 30% from deep. And then the other team shoots 50% on twos and 48% on threes. Of course, the turnovers are, are a swing factor there, but it's not even like the Lakers dominated the free throw differential in this game. They dominated the glass 21 offensive boards to eight. And when it comes down to crunch time, and really throughout this game, LeBron is able to mismatch Hunt more easily against the Suns than maybe any other serious team in basketball, because it's exactly what you said, Jack. KD is going to be the biggest guy outside the five in terms of height and length, but physically he just cannot withstand a LeBron James drive. He can't withstand a LeBron James post-up. And so then you're looking at like Eric Gordon, because he's the thickest guy on the team, but LeBron obviously (laughs) still has an overwhelming height advantage there. It's just no matter where you look, he is able to get a matchup that he can attack very effectively. And When it comes down to it, if you're playing Yusuf Nurkic in closing minutes, LeBron is going to eat him alive, man. He is going to put him in pick and roll over and over again, and that's just not nearly an imposing enough rim protector. Or, he can run pick and roll with Austin Reeves, and then get Grayson Allen switched on to him at will. Like, it's just too easy. And LeBron is playing great, great basketball this year. Like... Logan, you hinted at the stat that I tweeted out. LeBron is shooting his career best percentage on two-pointers this year and the second best percentage that he's ever shot on threes. It's an unbelievable combination of his jump shot coming back in a big way, him being comfortable deploying that as a pull-up shooter, as a catch-and-shooter. But then him also getting to the rim at a rate that we haven't seen in a few years, finishing there with an aggression consistently that is so, so impressive. It's one of his most efficient scoring seasons versus league average ever. His highest uh, differential in terms of true shooting percentage versus league average since 2018. And in crunch time situations specifically, when we have seen that he's not just going to coast, when he's going to turn up, when he's going to exploit every mismatch he can and go out there and win the Lakers a game, he has been Unbelievable. He's scoring 8.4 fourth quarter points per game on 59% Mm. shooting. And I just don't see a single person on this Suns roster who can do anything to make LeBron uncomfortable. I think AD is a really tough matchup for them. They're just so, so much bigger that if it came down to a playoff series today... I would definitely prefer the Lakers still. We'll see how Beal changes the outlook for the Suns, but he certainly doesn't address that issue. The other thing that stood out to me in this game, though, is that we got a nice big Austin Reeves game on a national stage because that's a guy who I know a lot of people had been kind of waiting to slander, and he had a bit of a slow shooting start, and people got the opportunity to do that. But, Jack, what's your take on him, the level that he's played at, how in are you on Austin Reeves, or are you jumping on the slander train there?
3: Okay, well, I'm a uniquely qualified person to talk about this. Okay. I'm in a 20-person fantasy league. I took a big swing on Austin okay. Reeves, and I am I'm one in five in that league because of it. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the The start to his season has been pretty gnarly, uh, and I don't I, I don't think he's gonna become I thought he was capable of being like a 17-5 five and 5-ish guy this season, uh, and I don't know if that's like a, a realistic expectation at this point. But I do really like uh, when you readjust what you think he can do. Him off the bench, uh, for going against second unit guys uh, is like a tough mismatch. When you see uh, the starters go out and like you bring him in, even against like the other teams tired starters after about four or five minutes he's capable of doing a lot of different stuff offensively that I like especially when you just kind of let him run the floor without LeBron Uh, I would like to see it felt like last year he was a lot better at getting to like a mid-range floater situation whereas this year as those shots have not fallen it's been a lot more trying to create contact and go to the free throw line, which hasn't—he's uh, he's fine at doing that, but I don't think that's uh, what lets the Lakers play their best version of basketball. It's when, like, gravity collapses around LeBron, AD, or whoever. They swing it to Reeves. Not only does he need to be able to hit his three-point shots, but also like attack closeouts effectively and then when the help comes on those, maybe swing it to Anthony Davis on the block, throw a lob, do whatever. Those are were moments in the Nuggets series last year where I was like, "Holy shit, if they were like committing to offense on this guy and just like taking the ball out of LeBron's hands a little bit, which it's LeBron, I understand why you're not going to do that." that would have intimidated me more in the playoff series because those possessions were a lot more effective. The things that he was doing effectively there have not quite been at the same level so far to start this season, though.
1: It's interesting to me, Jack, that you highlight that as where you think it's a shortcoming of Reeves, him driving to the rack instead of settling for mid-range jumpers. I actually, I think that's one of the big benefits of Reeves' game in terms of how he's different from D'Angelo Russell. I, I kind of prefer that in his skill set. Like, I think D'Lo, to me, settles for a lot of those mid-range jumpers, and I don't know, I like the fact that Reeves tries to go downhill and create a little more contact. I think there's a little more
3: dynamism in his game. I uh, do I do want to specify, my problem mm-hmm. is not that he goes to the rim. Uh, my problem is that uh, it's felt... Like, he, where last year he had a lot of uh, fakes and, uh, like, mm-hmm. herky-jerky movements, I guess, <laughs> that would result in him getting, like, an 8-foot push shot that he mm-hmm. was really good at hitting. And uh, now that defenders have not bit on those fakes as hard, he is looking more to just, like, get contact on the body and get to the line. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say flopping. That feels like a lazy—like, it's not all that, I mean, he does uh, some real but, foul baiting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can call but, it what it but is. But, yeah— it- <laughs> I, I think uh, I think he's more effective offensively when he's not doing mm-hmm. that, I suppose. For
1: sure. For sure. I do think that Reeves is an underrated offensive weapon, though. I still don't think people fully appreciate him for what he is and what he does on this team. Uh, and one of the things that I love about Reeves is consistently, Carson, you mentioned that it's on a big stage. I don't think Reeves is a guy that fears the moment. And I think the Lakers need guys like that that can go out, attack downhill, go and get a bucket when they need in crunch time. Reeves... Reeves is a dog, man. Like, I don't know. Like, on the big stage, like, I do not mind him going out and taking a shot or going out and looking for his bucket because I don't know, man. Like, like you need guys that are that irrationally confident in themselves, and I think Reeves is one of those guys. I think he fully believes that he's him. I loved hearing when they ran it back after the uh, commercial break at the end of the game and you see him flexing and screaming and stuff. Uh, Reeves doesn't fear the moment, and the Lakers need guys like that. They're, they are short guard-wise, and I think that a D'Angelo Russell trade should be what the Lakers explore. Um, I think Reeves would be my lead guard moving forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a dog, though, man. I mean, again, on a big stage. This isn't the first time that it's happened. Like, I trust Reeves in big games, in big moments, to do his thing, man. He's not hes not scared of the moment. I think a guy no. like D'Lo is, man. You know, I think that he's a guy that can kind of shy away and can disappear. Uh, I, I don't feel that way with Reeves.
3: I think Team USA is a good... Uh... Mm -hmm. thing to look to for that as well Mm -hmm. he was really impressive on the international stage uh in a way i don't know like when you roll up to training camp team usa was not looking to give him all those possessions and he really like earned it by playing well in those moments
4: 100 percent. i'm a big austin reeves guy and i think that people were so quick to try to discount what he did Because he's a Laker, and I think a lot of people hate the Lakers, and because he's a white Laker, and sometimes white Lakers get pretty overrated. I just don't (laughs) think that Austin Reeves is that guy. Like, probably any Lakers role player is going to inherently be talked about maybe more than they should. But what he did from March 1st on last season, when you're looking at that post-Russ trade stretch where he started really taking on a larger offensive responsibility... You have 36 games, regular season and playoffs of him dropping 17 and a half points, five assists a night on 66% true shooting, 43% from deep. So when I look at some of his issues this year, I think a lot of it is shot variance. He went from being an elite spot up player last year, which I absolutely think he is given the ability that we've seen from him as a shooter to a struggling spot up player this year. So that's going to hurt his efficiency and his production and all that. I still think out of pick and roll. He can pretty much get what he wants now he's not quite getting the same calls as last year when it comes to some of that foul grifting like his free throw rate last year was 0.54 which means that for every two field goals that he's take that he takes he's getting fouled more than once which is just like an obscenely high rate and now that's down to 0.3 something which is still pretty solid but it's not that obscenely high rate but I still love the pace that he plays without a pick-and-roll. I think that he is incredibly deceptive. I think that change in pace is lethal, and I do think he's a really good intermediate shot maker. Like the floaters, the push shots you mentioned, Jack. He's just a great space creator, and you see it late yesterday... There's a couple spots where he just creates a bunch of separation with a nice mid-range step back, and it just doesn't fall. But I still view him as a guy who can get his own shot out of pick-and-roll very consistently. He was a 90th percentile pick-and-roll creator last year. And then who is lethal in some of these specific actions with LeBron in a way that other guys aren't. If it's him running side pick-and-roll, the ability to kill you as a pull-up shooter or as a driver or to hit LeBron for his spot-up threes. If it's LeBron as the ball handler... And then Reeves sets a go screen, and we know how that can lead to either switches or if two guys stay on LeBron, then that's an open Austin Reeves three. That's a great look. I still think he serves a very, very valuable role with this team, and I think he is very, very good. And I think he is much better than D'Angelo Russell. I think it's one of the best value contracts in the NBA. And I just thought it was nice to see him ball out in a meaningful situation on a national stage like this because he's really good, and a lot of people seem very determined to prove that he's not. And I think those people are just wrong.
3: Yeah. Uh, I was just going to, like, there's the guy in Utah who the Lakers, uh, it was like a big deal, wouldn't give up for Kyle oh, Lowry. Oh, T-H- THT, man. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Taylor Horton took her. I was thinking Juan Toscano Anderson for some reason. But, uh, <laughs> no, uh, I just wanted to say it feels like people oftentimes group Austin Reeves in with that caliber of Lakers role player who just, like, has these flashes and nothing ever develops, Reeves is, like, uh, he's something else. He's better than that kind of guy. Like, he is uh, somebody who deserves an established role, if not starting uh, immediately off the bench.
4: He's their third-best player. He was the third-best player by far on a team that just made a Western Conference
3: Finals run. Like... THT. way better than d He's way better than d Much than better. He's
4: so much <laughs> smarter. He has so much more of an awareness of what he does well. He's a better shooter. He's just a more competitive basketball player. And the thing with THT was that turns out he actually couldn't shoot whatsoever. So he had this shifty little <laughs> shot creation. And yeah, he could have a tough move. But as they say, $100 move, one cent finish. Like that was kind of THT's brand. So... Good win for the Lakers, and I will say the defensive level that we see from engaged LeBron is encouraging to me too because Mm -hmm. as much as he struggled to impose his will at the level we're used to offensively in last year's playoffs because of the foot injury, because of how inconsistent and mostly bad his jump shot was, we really did see him have an impact as an interior defender, as a help side rim protector, making impact plays Mm -hmm. with his hands, and you saw that again yesterday. So if he is able to blend all of those... You're looking at a guy who really can be a top five player again, because we saw like those ceilings in last year's playoff run. If it was game six against the Warriors, if it was game four against the Nuggets, we're like, oh wow, when he is just fully committed to weaponizing his athletic advantages, when he's not doing the settling stuff, when he's fully dialed in defensively, like that is still an unbelievable superstar basketball player. And I wasn't sure how much of a role that foot injury played, but Mm -hmm. To me, this is the best LeBron that we've seen since 2020. He's not at that level. That was the best player on the planet, pretty clearly. But I didn't know if we could see LeBron this revitalized, this dominant again. And even if the raw production isn't there, look at the efficiency. Look at when he picks his spots, how fully dominant he is, the production in those situations. That makes the Lakers a scary team. And, uh, if he looks like that, if they hit on a mid-season trade to address some of the athleticism issues in their backcourt, then I still think that's a really scary team. But another team out West who's been making some noise in the in-season tournament is the New Orleans Pelicans. So, Jack, I know that you're a big fan of theirs. I know that you're a Herb Jones and a Trey Murphy enthusiast, and I believe <laughs> that they're fans of yours as well. But. What's your take on what they can achieve if we're talking about a postseason run? Like, what's their ceiling? Do you really think that they can make some noise in the West this year?
3: Um. Okay. So the way it sits right now, they're the eight seed, and if they're the eight seed, I think the Nuggets yeah beat them <laughs> yeah in the playoffs. good night <laughs> not not a super hot take there. But first of all, I wouldn't want them to be the Nuggets matchup because I think it's a tough series, and I think if they draw, um. If they draw the Kings, for example, or even the Suns, if the Suns like uh, lean really hard on KD with Booker and Beale struggling and then Kevin Durant goes down with a substantial injury and like they're not all there in the playoffs, the Pelicans could easily win that series. I think uh, if they draw the right matchup in the first round, they're very capable of winning it, and I think they'll be a good series regardless. Once you get into like, conference finals territory. I think uh, there are some uh, exploitable weaknesses that, uh like, we're viewing them as a fun young team right now, and when you start to analyze them as a team that's trying to, like, make it as deep into the playoffs as possible, there are flaws within this roster and everything, but I think they have a lot of really good counters to pretty much every team outside of Jokic mm-hmm. and Denver. I think... Uh, You have Zion, who isn't even really playing at his ceiling right now and is 25 on super good efficiency while pressuring the rim a ton. Um, You have Ingram, who can capitalize on the space in the mid-range that Zion creates when he goes to the rim like that. You have two really solid wing stoppers in Herb Jones and Trey Murphy. Uh, And then you have CJ McCollum. I love the versatility he provides in terms of he can lean more on the scoring aspect of his game or he can be a really solid facilitator if other guys have it going. And then uh He's not like the best center in the world or anything, and I think he was a lot better last year, but still sets really good screens, still is a huge body that if you don't have your own like big Eastern European center (laughs) to go against, uh, it's a tough matchup that he'll kill you on boards, he'll kill you with touch shots around the rim if you give him the opportunity to, and so I think uh, they're well equipped to deal with a variety of different like opponent matchups. Yeah, the Pelicans were one of my
1: favorite young teams coming into this year. I had them as my four seed, finishing uh, at 50-32. and 32. And I do like the Pelicans. I think that they would give a team a run for their money in the first round. You guys remember uh, a couple years back, the old Suns core, when, as you mentioned, Jack, one injury... Uh, could maybe swing a series in the pelicans favor uh you know i think it was just bi and mccollum going at him but they made that sun series interesting you know they pushed six and they weren't at full health either so again in, in marginal situations in the playoffs when it comes down to little things like that where one player goes out i definitely think the pelicans could have upset potential but i do like the top end talent the way that they have here they have kind of an excess and bevy of offensive guys like five guys legitimately who on any given night could give you 20 if that's zion if it's bi valanchunas McCollum, or if trey murphy gets hot and i do like the top two guys offensively in bi and zion one of the most underrated things i think about zion that that i've loved over the past couple years is how unselfish zion is in the half court and like i think zion's a legitimately good passer like he is Like, he's reading the court, he's trying to find mismatches to attack, if that's feeding it to Valanciunas on the low block, if that's feeding B.I., if it's McCollum, like, Zion legitimately processes and reads the court and is attacking things consciously. It's not just him lowering his shoulder and going to the rack, like, he's trying to set up his teammates. Along with that, I want to give Brandon Ingram credit We've seen this over the past two seasons. He's legitimately grown as a playmaker in terms of decision-making, where if he draws a double, he's looking to get rid of the ball. Like, these guys are really well-developed scorers. B.I., pull-up jump shooting, in the mid-range, crafty, Zion, getting downhill, getting ahead of steam. But they're good playmakers, too. And the same thing, like you said, Jack, goes from a column, where all three of these guys are really good, versatile scorers and playmakers. So I like their top offensive talent. Maybe uh, more than some other teams that don't have those kind of options, right? Like, I mean, that depth wise, right? Like, Golden State has the top end guy and a guy like Stephen Curry, but then you go down the depth of their roster. You know, they don't have three or four guys to turn to that can have good, Mm -hmm. exactly. And so, offensively, I do like them. I like the depth pieces, like you mentioned with Herb Jones and Trey Murphy, and the defensive ceiling they can reach with those three guys as stoppers and Valanciunas. But That's probably where my biggest question mark is with the Pelicans and where it's been for the past few years is it's not with Murphy and Jones and Valanchunas. I know those guys can pull their weight. It's more about complete depth because I still only like them seven and eight deep. Uh, And then overall defensively, can I trust Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson to be true, real defensive stoppers in the Western Conference I don't know yet I just haven't seen it long enough and that's been the issue with the Pelicans in years previous as those guys buying in and being real defensive pluses but the Pelicans are probably one of my favorite young West cores I, at this point I don't think I'd pick them to to win a playoff series but I don't think we can count them out man the West is deep as hell and you mentioned Jack the physical advantages that the Lakers have over Phoenix I think the physical and athletic advantages that you mentioned with the Lakers the Pelicans can match up size-wise With the minnesotas of the world with the denvers with the lakers so that is still a distinct advantage that new orleans you know new orleans isn't devoid of holes but i still think they have distinct advantages over other western conference teams offensively physically and athletically
4: i'm gonna defend the warriors real quick i think that their bench is awesome (laughs) i think that if clay and wiggins can play close to their normal level and if they can stop blowing these games against good teams late in mind-blowing ways (laughs) then they'll be okay. But when it comes to the Pelicans, I just think that their depth is amazing. And I'm really not too worried about once you go further than eight deep, because how often are you going to do that in a playoff rotation anyways? Like Herb is playing defensive player of the year caliber right now on that level. Just unbelievable versatility in terms of matchup. He's bringing you some secondary rim protection. Like that dude is just an absolute dog. And Trey Murphy is a flamethrower, and he was on an unbelievable stretch after the All-Star break last year, so when you have a couple wings who can play at that level on both sides of the ball, Herb's knocking down his jumpers right now too, like, those are some really good supporting pieces to have. To me, there's just a concern in terms of the fundamental construction of this team, and I think somebody actually articulated it on Twitter that I saw the other day really, really well. Don't remember who it was, but they basically captured a sentiment that I've been feeling with this pelicans team which is that when your two best players are both defensive liabilities and struggle to create reliable offense from deep it's going to be tough to make a really deep run with that configuration and that's where i worry it's about the easy offense for them and then how high a defensive ceiling that they can reach like if you look at cj right he is a tough shot maker often for mid-range bi is a tough mid-range shot maker and then you have zion and Valanciunas, neither of whom are good for spacing zion is always going to have this overwhelming physical advantage where he can get great shots around the rim almost at will but just the totality of that it's like okay how easy it for them to go on these runs where they're just getting easy drive and kick threes or they have these flamethrower pull-up three stretches that a lot of the most dynamic offenses in the league are capable of it's not very easy so they can be a good offense it's tough for them to be a great offense and then defensively there are pieces that i like talked about how much i love the wings but some of the other core guys here bi zion valanchunas is okay as an anchor i mean he's a good rebounder but the rest of this team hasn't rebounded the ball well and then defensively they've been poor in transition zion valanchunas those guys can struggle to get back on defense i just think They've constructed a core here where they have real talent at the top and then they have really good depth simultaneously, but there's something about it that just isn't totally complementary. And so for that reason, in a playoff scenario, I worry about the absolute ceiling that they can reach.
3: Yeah, I think... One of the things that makes me nervous about their ceiling, I think I view them as a completely different basketball team. If this was like 2021 Zion or whatever it was, where it was like 27 a game, 60% from the field. You know, if you like give him 15 shots, he's going to hit nine of them and he's going to just like, like, it's going to be a problem every time the other team goes to the huddle. They're like, holy shit, this is the focus. We're talking about him the entire time. Mm-hmm. And, like, the rest of the guys are kind of in the periphery of the scheme yeah. that the other team is doing. He's really good. Uh, he has not been at that level to me this season. And I almost, like, he is very smart, and he's a really good passer, especially for a guy who plays a front court like, small forward-ish position or whatever. He's super intelligent. But there are moments where... I just, like, haven't seen him attack, like, one-on-one matchups that he can win fairly easily Mm -hmm. uh, for whatever reason. I think he only took, like, nine shots in their win over the Kings, which they really opened that win up in the second half. It was a blowout, and I wouldn't want him to, like, just, like, play me, me, me ball. Mm -hmm. But it's just, like, a, a feeling that I've had this season where... They have this opportunity, and if Ingram could be like a 38% from three guy, which I think he's been at points in his career, he's definitely not right now. He has shot the three pretty poorly to start this season. And then if Zion could just be like what we've seen him capable of doing, it's a team that you 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 get more wiggle room in those issues of can this be like a lockdown defense uh, mm-hmm. is this a team that can like constantly be generating really good looks for everyone on the floor when you have uh, guys in a playoff series who like Zion that's the second best guy in this series or something like mm-hmm. that where you know you're going to be competitive just off the level of play of that guy it hasn't felt like that to me so far this season and I think you're right Jack that they the pelicans could do a job of creating
1: easier offense for zion too if they focused more on him now, i will say i i've liked the offensive attack these last 10 games uh bi's at 24 5 and 5 on 41 percent from deep zion oh shit uh, okay i'm tripping same. that's no, no, no fault well, Damn. that's that's just last 10 yeah that's like yeah that's last 10 games over the, right year, in the entire thirty percent from deep so mm-hmm. okay yeah. and zion on the last 10 24 5 on 63 percent from the field but i think you're right if Zion is such a game-breaking weapon that if they deliberately, you know, McCollum setting a go screen, if it's B.I. setting a screen, getting these smaller wings or smaller guards, like, I think you could create, Carson, you talk about that easy offense in the playoffs, you know, that's what you need to generate. I think if you leaned more into weaponizing Zion, you know, if it's a post-up touch or just weaponizing his physical strength, drawing more doubles, you know, I think they have the talent to create those offensive advantages. I just don't know if they're weaponizing Zion to the maximum extent that they could and if they did that i think i like the pelicans even more
4: yeah i still like the pelicans overall but i agree with all the concerns you guys have raised and when i compare them to some of these other teams out west not even talking about the contenders but who are in their same tiers it's like sure they have defensive advantages certainly over the Mavs, but just looking offensively like that's a team that has Two reliably great perimeter creators. I just think it comes easy to them. The spacing is so good. You have those guys who can dominate and pick and roll in isolation situations. The Kings, with their variety of shot makers and their variety of ball handlers and Sabonis running things. Like, I just view higher offensive ceilings there. And I'm not sure that the Pelicans quite have the defensive ceiling to make up for that gap. But there's still an uncomfortable matchup because they are really athletic
1: because they have a lot of dudes who can really play. Mm hmm. And Against the Kings, too, I mean, I, I again, playoff scenarios are so much down. They come down just to the matchups. You guys don't think that with Herb Jones and engaged locked-in defense, like, I want to give a... You talk about Herb. Herb held uh, Fox the other game to 10-25, to 25, six turnovers. He turn was Herbs, unreal. Like, I don't know. In a scenario against these teams with limited creators, because you give the yeah, a lot of ball handlers, I mean, it's really just Fox and Monk. You know, the Warriors, it's Curry. Like, in in individual matchups you guys don't think herb could reach an unconscious level on the perimeter and this pelicans defense could be just good enough to get through
4: how do they reconfigure their core lineup because the way i'm looking at it is you have starting spots taken by cj bi zion and valanchunas so that leaves one spot for your elite wing they can't take valanchunas out they don't have the positional size to give you any sort of small ball look maybe it's cj but then you're really compromising ball handling I'm and you go shot I'm saying making. you go
1: herb at the two
4: so you're just saying herb herb can only herb do so much man herb can't single-handedly make you he's gonna be a problem for anybody mm-hmm. but that's only yeah. one really high level defender out there
3: i that's think true. uh i think if Valanciunas was a better rim protector i uh 100%. buy that a more because with the Kings, it's interesting the way you can sag off Sabonis uh, mm-hmm, and yeah. like the way if you have mm-hmm. an elite rim protector, uh, you can just plant them under the rim a lot of the time and you're like, take that fucking elbow jumper, yeah. Sabonis, yeah. Like, we're fine with that, we're totally cool with that. Uh, and I think if you had that opportunity, someone like that backing up Herb Jones, uh, it's different. He's allowed to take a lot more risks on the perimeter in terms of, like, gambling passing lanes, just really, like, going at De'Aaron 27-28 away from the hoop. Uh But you can't gamble with, like, if you let Fox blow by you with that speed and get to that elbow jumper, that's, like, a disaster mm-hmm. for your defense. He's going to bury that, and, like, once everyone else on your defense starts reacting to that shot, that's when the Kings, like, it's just... uh. That's when the ball starts flying around. He swings it to Sabonis. Sabonis gets it to whoever they have that's capable of making the additional pass. And then it's in the hands of a 37% uh, three-point shooter or something. And so I think uh, Herb is elite, and he did a really good job on Fox. But uh, extrapolate that over a big playoff series. I have faith that Fox and uh, company in Sacramento with the offense, they've been able to create, mm-hmm. find a way around it just because I don't like Valanchunas that much as a rim protector.
4: Yeah. And that's the other point, Logan, you're talking about if it's only Fox and Malik, who are these dynamic ball handlers and athletes and shot makers on ball. The dynamic that's very different in Sacramento versus New Orleans is that on the wings, you're going to have 40% three point shooters everywhere Herder, Keegan Murray, Harrison Barnes. The Pelicans just don't have that sort of shooting upside. They're 26 and threes made. As we talked about, their starting lineup inherently is going to have basically two non three point shooters. Like Jonas will step out there, but still at pretty low volume. He's relatively effective when he does
1: it, but he's going to take his 1 3 a game or whatever. You guys you guys preferred the Kings in a in a playoff series against the Pelicans. I mean, I
3: would think so. I I, um, think, I think so too. I think I there's think I, also I think there's a big question um I don't know I don't know about Brandon Ingram in the playoffs, man. He has a game that you think would translate well, but I just feel I feel shaky about the way, like, uh, those mid-ranges, like, go down for him in bigger games, and I just don't feel like he's on the same tier as uh, guys that you're, like, 100% on board with in terms of, like, letting have those shots, like uh, the Paul Georges of the Mm -hmm. world or the Devin Bookers of the world, where it's like, yeah, get to your mid-range or whatever, and I just think uh, they're a good basketball team on both ends that would just be kind of, like, overwhelmed in a shootout with Sacramento I think it's like destined to become a shootout if those two teams Mm -hmm. match up just because nobody's really playing elite level defense and I think they lose a shootout I guess and maybe shooting
1: variance and transition wins in that series I just think I prefer New Orleans like you talk about the limitations of Brandon Ingram my thing with the Kings still is about DeMontis Sabonis and I don't know if I can trust him on the playoff stage so I don't know. I think I marginally. I think I'd take New Orleans over Sacramento, man. I, I don't know if I can trust Sabonis the same way. Like, the good news is I don't think they're going to meet in a first round series.
4: I'm not sure. Yeah. are really. very See, true. Very true. Yeah, yeah, that. yeah. So I'm glad that we really dove deep into this. I will say, last thing on the <laughs> Pelicans before we move on, I'm actually a big Bi guy. We've only seen him in the playoffs once for that one series, and it was a good three point shooting series for him. But I do think that ability to get to your spots no matter what. When you are in more of a rock fight environment, when those mid-range shots do become more comparatively valuable and just be a great shot maker from there, that's super valuable. I think he's an underrated playmaker. I like BI a lot. To me, again, it's just the issue of complementary skill sets. Do I think that he and Zion and Valanchunas and their other big-time perimeter shot maker being CJ, who's such so reliant on tough buckets as well, like do I think that that is the most harmonious fit? I don't but I do still like the Pelicans and they could win a playoff series this year. I wouldn't pick it. Uh, I think that they're probably somewhere around like the seventh or eighth favorite team for me out West, but that's more just because I think that the West is insane this year. In the NBA, the game can change in an instant, but no matter how the action unfolds, you know DraftKings Sportsbook has your back. This week, new customers can score 150 instantly in bonus bets just for betting five bucks on basketball.
1: Win or lose, you get an instant dub. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code NERDS. New customers can get 150 instantly in bonus bets for betting just $5 on basketball, only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code NERDS. The crown is yours. deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. The king of the West and the kings of the West is Nikola Jokic of
4: the Denver Nuggets. And we can't bring on Jokic Joestar without talking about this. We just had a conversation last week talking about how we all agreed that Jokic is the best half-court offensive player ever. This was me, Logan, and Jason Timpf. But the other conversation that I've seen pop up a lot, this has happened in our Discord, Logan, I've seen this on Twitter, is, Jack, I'll start with you the gap between Jokic and the rest of the NBA right now, when was the last time that we saw a gap that large between the best player in the NBA and the second best player?
3: Um, my mind immediately goes to Miami LeBron. I feel like that's kind of the default answer. And, uh, I don't know. I think, uh, maybe like 2014, 2013-ish around there is a good example because I am really big on Giannis as a player and I want to like pay respect to him here a little bit in the sense that uh this is a guy who has been overwhelmingly good in recent weeks and it has absolutely taken a, like, I wouldn't say a step backwards, but a sidestep to accommodate Damian Lillard and try to get like, this team to be playing winning basketball and just instead of, like, putting his head down and going to the rim every possession, we know that he can. Uh, and I think Giannis is really good the same way Kevin Durant was really good in 2013 or 2014 when he won the MVP even. But it's just, like, you look at him and you watch him dominate a basketball game in, like, these certain individual areas and then you tune into a Nuggets game and every single time... Jokic touches the basketball, uh, save for, like, a disaster night every, like, month, two months. Like, you'll just be like, oh, shit, he only had 20, 12, and 8 tonight <laughs> yeah. or something. But generally, when you tune in to watch Jokic, it's just like a seamless, mistakeless basketball that just, like, slowly erodes whatever team they're playing against to the point where you look up he has his 32 12 and 12 or whatever and your team's down 14 points and it's just like what what can you do uh it's a feeling of hopelessness that comes with (laughs) like trying to defend Jokic that it's not always there with Giannis and so yeah I I guess I'd say like 2013-ish LeBron is probably the gap we're talking about I think I think that's a good pick
1: I was gonna go somewhere in that LeBron era, you know, where it was like LeBron was still dominating head and shoulders above the league. But every time the MVP award would come up, they were like, "Eh, we can't give it to LeBron, man. You know, he's already got, (laughs) he's already got five of them. Um, I was going to go with 2016 LeBron, just for the pure fact that the Warriors had to go, Oh, we have to add Kevin Durant to our roster uh, to slay the best player on the planet. And then, I mean, if you think further back than that dude, I think you just go with the highest peaks of all time. Like, is it 2000 Shaq? Mm-hmm. You know, is it 1990s Michael Jordan when the league wasn't as talented when you point to the discrepancy? Because I think that is the discrepancy, right, that you point out, Jack. It's the despair. It's the it, the void of, of hope that you have when you're playing Jokic. It's like, uh, we're fucked. You know, game's over. It's <laughs> wraps. Yeah. You know, there's nothing we can do. It's And it's the only, and it's that kind of feeling, that emptiness that you get with the greatest players of all time. So if it's not peak LeBron, I'd say it's peak MJ, I'd say it's peak Shaq, and I don't know, Carson, you are... uh... Our resident uh, NBA historian, uh, do you think those are apt or are you throwing back to like 1960s yeah, Yes,
4: yes. Well, let's be honest, guys. There's never been a bigger gap than Mike in the late 40s. I mean, that's a guy (laughs) who was head and shoulders above the league. No, I think you made some good choices. I actually think that the answer to this question is a little bit underwhelming compared to what some people may think. I would say it's LeBron basically all the way from 2012 to 2020. (laughs) Like, when could you ever have made a serious argument that anybody was even on the same level as LeBron? Like, I know that people did. Doug Gottlieb said that KD was the best player alive after 2017, and maybe somebody said Kawhi after 2019. But in all seriousness, like, the consistent physical dominance that he had paired with his brilliance, his continued skill development, his defensive dominance whenever he wanted to be. Like, there was never a moment where I considered anybody on the same level as LeBron, as great as Steph's peak was, as great as KD's peak was, as great as Kawhi and Giannis's peaks were. So, to me, up until that point, like LeBron was just so, so clearly above the rest of the league, but I think you have to include MJ, especially the first peak. He's still the best player in the world, 96-98, to 98, but his physical skills have declined enough to where it's not as overwhelming an advantage, Shaq in that 2001 range before Duncan reaches his absolute peak, before KG probably reaches his absolute peak as well. I think Akeem in 94-95 when MJ's out of the league, shout out David Robinson, but like when it came down to it, their offensive maturity in a playoff setting, Akeem could drop 30 a night on elite efficiency while being the best defensive player alive. Duncan Robinson might give you 22 on not so great efficiency while being the second best defensive player alive. Shaq wasn't at that level yet. Like, I think Akeem had a really large gap between him and the rest of the league. And then, I think maybe the biggest gap ever is Kareem. I would say from 71 to 76 specifically, because in that 76-77 season, you have Walton reach his peak. You have Dr. J come over from the ABA. That to me is when you started to get guys who were sort of contenders, but really all the way to 1980, I would say Kareem was pretty clearly the best guy. In the early 70s, you have Jerry West and you have Wilt and then you have Rick Barry once he comes back, but you never could have made a serious argument that any of those guys were better than Kareem. So those to me are the candidates, maybe Bird 84 to 86 too, because that's the three straight MVPs. I mean, Magic was there, so I don't view that as as overwhelming an advantage, but Bird was definitely better at that point than Magic or anybody else. But Jokic is on that level, I think. Like, there is no argument that could persuade me for another player right now. And this is a guy who's averaging 29, 13, and 10 on 63% true shooting. He's doing it with (laughs) under three turnovers a game now. There was the stat that circulated about how Somebody tweeted this about Tyrese Halliburton. He had like the, I think it was eighth game with 26 points. Maybe it was 10 rebounds, 14 assists, no turnovers. And then he showed the stat head search <laughs> output in <And Yeah>. two <laughs> of the games were Jokic in the last week. <laughs> like just the routine offensive brilliance, dude. The skilled shot making 73.5% on floaters, 53% from mid-range. I can't do my full Jokic spiel every time we talk about him, but the impact on team offense... They have an offensive rating of 124.4 when he is on the floor right now, 101.3 without him, and that is 12 games without Jamal Murray. He is still leading them to be the equivalent of the best offense ever when he's on the floor. I just think when you're looking at somebody who has defenses compromised every single possession in whatever way he chooses... As much as I love Steph and as special as I think he is, there's just such a gap in the ability to get to your spots at the middle of the floor, in the paint, whenever you want, and dictate offense from there. Giannis, as great as his two-way ceiling is, I still think that there's too much inconsistency in terms of the offensive skill and when you're looking at crunch time scenarios. There's no argument for anybody else, and that's something that you can only say so many times throughout NBA history. So I put him among those like top seven biggest gaps, but realistically... LeBron was the inarguable king for a long time, and I don't think that we can rewrite history and pretend otherwise. God damn,
3: that was beautiful. Thanks, I mean, man. We gotta we gotta start like a Jokic club. We gotta get some badges, <laughs> dude. Made. Yes, I'll definitely ship you one. Absolutely. Dude, uh, let
4: me just say something on that real quick. I saw somebody the other day. We tweeted out this clip, where we were having this conversation about Jokic being the best offensive player, especially in the half court. And somebody was like, "Welcome to the club, boys." And I was like, "Look, pal, <laughs> look, pal. <laughs> just because this is the first take of mine you are seeing doesn't mean that in 2019 I didn't pick him to win MVP and that mm-hmm. I didn't call him the best offensive big man ever in early 2020." 21, man i've been here yeah we've been here
3: absolutely we're standing on it yeah uh, one of the th- yeah like uh i think it's cr- like especially crazy to contextualize this with the fact that after the championship he has sustained this unanimous uh approval rating whatever yeah. you want to call it um through the loss of not just jamal murray but also aaron gordon probably mm-hmm. the two players who make his job the easiest on the court and, like, really maximize what he does. Uh, He hasn't had those guys for huge stretches. Like, it's crazy to watch Nuggets games lately and see how much two-man game it's, like, him and Michael Porter Jr. And the Nuggets offense, when he's on, is just, like, it has not missed a beat in the slightest Mm he— just, yeah, I mean, it's very slow, methodical. I'm not saying shit that's new. It's like everyone's seen this for a while. It's just like the continuation of these trends where it's like two years ago, people are like, is there anything you can do? And it's two years later. And it's like not really when he's like hitting. I mean, the threes have fallen off a little bit in recent weeks. That's why we're only the measly 63% true shooting. Like, there, was, there was a stretch when he was like 40% from three to start the season where he was chilling at like, 68 69 it's like if he's doing this we're gonna have extremely uncomfortable conversations about all-time rankings but it's cooled off a little bit uh the efficiency is just like all-time great now instead of arguably the best ever or whatever you want to say dude it, it's just a night-to-night remarkable consistency like you said like Carson reads
1: off those per game numbers and it's it's astounding like it blows your mind I don't know if you guys know the song uh Sun came out by a uh, gunna, you know. Oh, yeah, gunna sure. goes in and he starts depicting uh, <laughs> things that happen on a daily basis, right? Mm. Sun came out. I still gunna got bought money. a drop top. Hard, right? So, <laughs> so Jokic is like the sun, man. The sun came out. Jokic balled out, dude. It's just a daily. It just happens on the daily basis, you know. Uh, sun came out. Jokic balled out, dude. It just happens every single day. Gunna bought a drop top. Damn. That's so hard, bro. <laughs> and it's yeah, so that's a good that's a good nod. <laughs> real,
4: it's so real. There's just nothing more valuable than the inevitably dominant offensive force, and I think that's something that got lost when Jokic was dealing with backcourts of Faku and Austin Rivers, and when he didn't have any of his dudes healthy for consecutive playoff runs. Like he was still leading elite playoff offenses with unbelievable individual production and efficiency without decent supporting casts and people held team success against him it's just such a short sighted view. like really if you are truly unstoppable offensively like there isn't a level of two-way impact that a flawed offensive player can have to overcome that gap and that's where Jokic is right now and it's a special special all-time tier okay one more topic before we get you out of here Jack we haven't really gone into depth about this whole Bulls fire sale on this show. We've talked a little bit about good locations for Levine or Caruso, but what are your guys' ideal destinations for all these dudes? Let's start with Zach Levine, Jack. Where would you most like to see him as a basketball fan end up?
3: Um, basketball fan, and it, this is—I would need to remove the fact that I am rooting for the Nuggets here. Sure, I think the Warriors uh, are a good fit if they just cut emotional ties with clay thompson (laughs) and you're like this shit's not working uh and we want to maximize the end of this steph window that we'll probably never see again then yeah going for a guy like levine who's an extremely great athlete and a very quality rim pressure guy to kind of counteract what steph does on the perimeter and also an extremely capable uh catch and shoot three-point shooter in his own right like he's just A phenomenal offensive talent that I think Chicago's done a pretty bad job of, like, maximizing the skill set of. I really like him for Golden State. I'm not exactly sure what the package would be. And, again, it would be sad because you're breaking up the big three. I think Klay Thompson has to go if you make this move. Uh, But in terms of, like, staying competitive and especially, like, revitalizing, they've just been, like— weird lately funky and have not looked like the Warriors that I've grown up with and everything so yeah I like Levine for Golden State I like that too
1: uh I I like Levine in a couple spots that I think need him I think the dubs need him uh could could put him to use I kind of like him in Toronto that was the one that I wrote down just because I think Toronto is in so desperate need of a guard man of a ball handler and I just think about how butter smooth uh Zach Levine's game is right like when I think about Toronto I just think of like a smorgasbord of just janky basketball players like you know I'm as big a Scotty Barnes guy as they come Dennis Schroeder's cool but he's got a funky game Pascal Siakam's got a funky game like Zach Levine's just smooth right like all these jagged edges and pieces Uh, that are in Toronto I just feel like Levine's a smooth piece that fits in there and I just think they need a they they need a guard he just I don't know I just feel like he'd be a he'd be a cool complimentary piece
3: to those guys I love that that's a good uh first take caliber analogy (laughs) all these guys all these guys in Toronto are sharp Levine's brown man we gotta get him in there (laughs) but I do I do agree with it yeah um I hate I don't know I've been asking the Toronto Raptors to just like realize that shit's right, not bro. gonna work out <laughs> right. for a little while now. Mm-hmm. I'm like, it's not happening. But they are. If they're asking for four first rounders for OG, uh, that's like that. That's the kind of team that would move for Zach Levine. So yeah. I think, uh, yeah, I could see it happening, and I think it makes them better. Absolutely.
4: Sun came out. Raptors were still ugly as hell. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <sighs> does it make sense to go more all in on anything That's right a good now question. like i think it's time for the raptors fire sale we always hear talk oh my mm-hmm. god how many years have we heard the siakam and especially the og rumors if Masai could just get off his high horse and like accept what those guys values actually are on the open market and it's still good value it's just it's not great for value. first like, round people... picks for og then I think that they can move more positively in the right direction and focus on building around Scottie. But yes, I mean, their guard play is totally unserious. And that's even with Schroeder having done relatively well this year. It's just the lack of pull-up shooting. It's bad spacing. It's just bad, bad, bad. So I like what you said about the Warriors, Jack. I think that that's probably my second favorite option, especially if things keep going south because... I do worry about the proficiency of their second option offensively, whoever that may be. And I think that it's probably Clay, but Clay is flawed. He's very reliant on tough perimeter shot making, even more so than he used to be. And so he can be inconsistent and inefficient at times. I still don't think he's uh, the disaster that some people have made him out to be because he's so hot and cold. He's going to get really hot at some point this year. And those numbers are going to even out a bit, but it's still not ideal. I'm not sure politically if they can trade him. And so I do wonder if that package could maybe avoid him because CP is a big contract and maybe it's CP Kaminga in a first. So you're still attaching a couple assets to there because it doesn't seem like Zach Levine is going to demand a ton of value. Like basically everything that I'm seeing when I look up Zach Levine trade is nobody's biting. And so maybe you don't need to attach, you know, I mean, I don't think that the Bulls would really value Clay anyways, but I like CP a lot with this bench. I think he's very valuable, but I'm increasingly becoming higher and higher on this bench unit even without him because of the energy and the offensive versatility that Pods brings and the level that Moody's playing at. Like, I think that that's, just a second unit that's pretty good no matter what and his contract value isn't good and he's a guy you can't close with despite the fact that Kerr has tried to at times because he doesn't fit offensively with the starters and he's very small and exploitable athletically and defensively so maybe they circumvent the oh my god hey Steph we're trading Clay Sawi. like (laughs) I'm not sure they can have that conversation maybe they could get Levine without him but I think A splashy move of some kind to add a skill of his caliber offensively would be good for the Warriors. My favorite, though, and they apparently have not been pursuing this, but I think he would be good for the Heat. And I think that if you packaged Hero and Lowry, here's my question to you guys. Could you get back Levine and Caruso? And maybe even like a future second
3: or something? I think... I don't know. See, okay. I think... Uh, I'm not smart, but I think okay. I am. And I think I'm smarter than the Bulls' front office and everything. To I think me, we all are. Caruso, yeah, I, like it feels like it. I don't mm. know. I feel like a monkey with a typewriter eventually <laughs> gets smarter than the Bulls' front office. Uh, like it feels like if you do the uh, Drew Holiday esque bidding war that the pay- or the Blazers kind of pivoted into after moving Dame, if you do that with Caruso, feels like individually. Uh, You can get, like, a really solid return on him. Um, See, that's, like, kind of where a personal value comes in, where you're like, would you rather just snag Hero, who I'm really high on? He's, like, a very, uh, really good 23-year-old, and I think he's gonna get even better and all that. Or would you rather get, like, a variety of, uh, draft capital and things like that. I think, uh, Caruso on his own is probably going to snag you more like first round picks or whatever. But if you want to go get that good player to kind of kickstart a rebuild, uh, Tyler hero, probably you could swing from the heat. If you go Levine and Caruso, yeah. I think the heat, he's such a heat culture guy, Caruso, they'd be salivating over him.
4: So here's how I came up with that package. I was thinking, levine is more valuable to the heat in the immediate because i think he is just a better offensive spark plug than hero i think he's such a dynamic shooter and athlete there's just a higher ceiling there when you're looking at what they can do this season and i think that the heat's window should be in the immediate while they still have jimmy playing at this level that's just the core that they've put together but i think that hero as more of a long-term young piece is more intriguing for the bulls who are already trying to move off of levine seemingly so Then I started thinking, do the Heat maybe have to attach a first tier to compensate for the fact that they would be getting Caruso as well, who I think on his own is worth a first round pick. I don't know that he's going to demand a ton more than that, especially because I think the teams on the market for him mostly don't have great assets. Like It's a lot of contenders who are like, okay, let's get that one more move to put us over the top. If it's the Lakers, the Bucks, we'll talk about that in a bit, but I don't know how much of a haul you're going to get for him, but he is certainly a positive asset. But then I wondered, well, I think in a vacuum, maybe Hero is worth more than Levine when you consider age, when you consider contract. So maybe they could just get Caruso in there as a, an additive piece without having to add a first round pick of their, all, of their own. But I would like that Because I think that Levine, although he's off to a slow start this year, 25 point per game score last year on 61% true shooting, 92nd percentile spot up player, 79th percentile isolation, 78th percentile transition, 63rd percentile pick and roll. Like he's just a big time shot maker and a big time scorer. And... He doesn't necessarily have the most winning tendencies all around in terms of defensive effort or offensive malleabilities. Playmaking is not always great, but the Heat, to me, just need more high-end offensive skill. And if they could pair that with a really athletic piece in the backcourt, like Caruso, who absolutely raises their defensive ceiling, like, that would be a big-time win-now move that I would view as a huge,
1: huge positive for them. Plus, I mean... I think it just works like timelines for both of these teams Mm -hmm. i mean i think that and you've got your big i mean you got your big three and starting five moving out i feel like that's the biggest asset that the heat need moving forward is just a bucket getter like i think that is a that is a home run that is a dream scenario for the heat and i think you're right i don't think you have to give up a ton like hero's a really valuable asset i don't even know if you'd have to add in a a draft pick man i think that hero's probably one of the better young players that you could get To build your franchise around i think that he'd have to do it and uh the last thing about levine you talk about his winning impact and defensive effort he's been stuck in chicago for three years you don't think a change of scenery a trip down to miami wouldn't change how he plays like i think he'd be more engaged on the defensive end that he'd have one of the best cultures in basketball i'm not saying you're going to get a brand new basketball player but in a winning context a winning scenario you don't think a guy like that's going to play harder i think he would be incentivized to
3: play his best ball too yeah, damn, dude, Levine—it's crazy. Um, that used to be like my go-to hot take three years ago—is you know, Booker's not that much better than Levine, you guys. Like they're they're the same caliber of player. And since then, I mean, it's a wash. Booker has been the better defender, scorer, playmaker. Been better yeah. in the postseason, all that stuff. Like that's a preposterous take at this moment in time. However, if you get Levine back to being that 25-point-per-game guy that he was several years ago before they plopped another All-Star who overlaps extremely heavily with his skill set right next to him and gave him a big man who doesn't really do all the stuff that he said he could do super well anymore. Um, if you get that version of Levine back before all the shit went down with DeRozan and Vucevic, and you send that guy to Miami, and you're like, hey, be capable of making the extra pass to open shooters... And like, be a good athlete who understands where he needs to be. I don't need you to like lock up the other team's best perimeter player. We're not going to come to you with that. We have guys who are capable of doing that. Especially if Caruso comes with you. If you send that guy to Miami, I have like full confidence uh, that like that's just the Miami voodoo magic. Like they're flipping that guy around, and all of a sudden he's like one of the best shooting guards in the NBA again. Yeah.
1: I
4: do wonder if maybe they're not interested because they don't view him as a heat culture guy. Maybe they don't expect that sort of buy-in. Yes, I, I did just say heat culture, unfortunately. But <laughs> I think ultimately they have to take a hard look in the mirror. And I know that they have this hubris and this organizational pride. They don't need star talents because they're just such grinders and they're so <laughs> smart. And they've made two finals since twenty twenty. And what do we know saying they need to have these dynamic talents? But Look at where they came up short last year. I mean, there were a few categories, right? They weren't athletic enough. They weren't big enough. But ultimately, they didn't have enough big-time offensive creators. They were reliant on these dudes just having flame-throwing, spot-up shooting runs. And then what happened? Last seven games, when they almost blew it against the Celtics, and then when the Nuggets really just manhandled them, they had an offensive rating that was equivalent to the 13th best team in that 16-team playoff field. Like, they totally sputtered. And if they want to actually contend... Even though I think they'll still play well. They'll still be a really uncomfortable playoff matchup. They still have some of the same advantages. Like, you're working at a talent deficit. And you can only do that for so long. And I don't think that they are
1: going to do this. But I think that they mm-hmm. should. Well, that's what you guys don't get. See, they didn't even want Damian Lillard.
3: They wanted Drew Holiday
1: more. Yeah. Oh no, my they
3: wanted Jaime Hawkes. Oh they my wanted Jaime Hawkes.
4: It's all they needed. <laughs>
3: We're not giving up uh, Jovich for Dame, but he's also not going to play for us either. (laughs) Uh, That's that's the fucking one million IQ move is this guy that we're not going to give up for the All-NBA player. He's not seeing the floor for us, but I promise he's good enough. It should just be like one for one, him for Dame.
4: What you're missing out on, Jack, is this is what's known as an internal draft and stash, okay? It's something mm. the Heat can do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Being in the presence of Pat Riley, Eric Spoelstra, Jimmy Butler, soaking up those competitive instincts and that basketball genius, you just wait until 2026, my friend, because then mm-hmm. you're going to be saying, Damian Lillard who? Nikola Jokic who? More like Nikola Jovic. No, <laughs> it's silly. Sometimes the way they do things is frustrating, but the results overall, pretty damn good. Okay.
0: Okay
4: to start listening. DeRozan, where do you guys like for him?
3: Dude, I haven't believed in DeRozan since before San Antonio. So at this point, it's just kind of like... Yeah. I guess, Uh, and so I think (laughs) the funniest place for him is easily the Knicks, just in terms of, like, let's throw another fucking mid-range scorer in there and just see what happens that also (laughs) gets worse in the postseason and all that. Um, I don't know what the package would be. I didn't really look into it that much. I don't feel like they'd have to give up Julius Randle to get it. Uh, Like, um, I feel like if I'm keeping my meme team together, that's, like, totally capable. (laughs) Brunson, DeRozan, Randle – rj and uh yeah yay. i don't know i just think it'd be funny uh, and i'm not super high like i've seen people be like oh de rosen's what the lakers need not really uh no that's like kind of giving the westbrook trade again just in terms of like oh i know that guy's name that's what the lakers need it's not always the case so yeah i put the knicks down i also think the heat uh he solves similar problems that levine does and i don't think uh you would like, he's probably like a cheaper version of Levine that maybe you could get to buy into the dumb heat culture stuff. Just cause like he bought into the Spurs culture pretty damn well. He was like, I'm here with LaMarcus. We're going to try to like make the best out of this situation. Even though I just got ripped from the place I wanted to spend my whole career. He was super like sportsmanship about that. And he bought in and the Spurs were fine. And then like he was good enough for Chicago to move for him and everything, I think Miami is a probably more reasonable spot, but I think the Knicks would be way funnier.
1: Yeah, DeRozan listed Miami and New York as his two preferred destinations, but I think you're I think you're on the right track, uh, Jack. I think if we go, see, I think you're you're looking at this as a wrong opportunity for the Knicks. This is an opportunity to say to the monkey with the typewriter in the Chicago Bulls front office, hey, we'll take DeMar... And you guys take Julius Randle. He's so good. He's so nice. He could be like your building block for the future. And this is how the Knicks just get rid of Julius Randle. They just give him to the Bulls. They take DeMar DeRozan back. Again, you know, I don't think DeMar's an elite player, but I think this is addition by subtraction if you can just get Julius Randle out of the building. So I like New York. I would give up Randle in that deal, not because he's worth more, uh, but just because I don't want him on the Knicks. And then... I like Miami. I don't think you'd have to give up Hero. I think you could give up, like, Lowry and Martin or, you know, Duncan Robinson and somebody else or something. I don't... And maybe a pick. I don't think you'd have to give up a ton for Tamar. And let me know what you guys think about this. I just wrote it down because they're pretty down bad right now. If the Grizzlies could somehow get a deal done, does he help them at all? I mean, they're just so... They're just offensively inept without uh jaw. I don't know. I'm just... I was just thinking about offensive guys that could provide some help for Memphis, but.
3: If I'm the Grizzlies, I'm down to just, like, when Ja comes back, see what happens, and if this year's a wash and we get a good draft pick, so be it. Uh, I wouldn't personally give up assets in order to, like, win 25 games instead of 21 or whatever it would be, but uh, it makes sense in terms of, like, they suck on offense and DeRozan's a pretty good scorer.
4: So let me ask you this on your Knicks game plan, Logan. DeRozan's on an expiring. Do they then just let him walk? yes Like and then you got just some money clearing? to spend, right. man. You know, that's actually I don't smart. hate I'm it. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. Yeah, I don't hate it because I was thinking in terms of a swap. I think that as much as I dislike Julius Randle when you're talking about how does he translate to a team that seriously wants to win multiple playoff series, just how erratic he is offensively, his ball-stopping tendencies, these ugly traits that he has, I don't like it. But I do think that he serves a role for that team in terms of just size and physical force and how elite a rebounding team they are. He's important to that, his ability to at least draw help attacking the paint, like he has some advantages over DeRozan in terms of fit there, but it, it it's not a terrible idea because ultimately, yeah, I wouldn't want to be attached to either one of these guys. And if the Knicks could find a way to get another big wing in there, but a guy who's just better, like, oh my God, could you imagine if they had Lori Markinen? I mean, that that's a like be that's a
3: team that scares me. Like, that's a good yeah, basketball yeah, yeah. team. Yeah, That's really that's a complete One eighty from the current Knicks. That's insane.
4: Seriously, and it's a tough path to get there. My thing with DeRozan is I really don't like him all that much anywhere, and it's not that his abilities, like his overall skill level as a basketball player is that different from Levine in a vacuum, and I get that he's cheaper, and he's a better playmaker, and he's actually having a better spot-up shooting season by his standards, like he's been a bit more willing to take and make threes this year. But it's still just really hard to find a fit for a guy with his play style on good teams who are already going to have on-ball creators to add another guy who's going to mostly need the ball to be effective and then who is not going to bring that dynamic like over-the-top three-point shot making like you were saying with the Lakers, Jack. I don't like that fit. I think that that just sort of congests things a little bit. Uh, it's tough to find. So you know what? I say just throw them on the Clippers throw them on the clippers, let them have fun. Maybe they change the rules. <laughs> Maybe they add two basketballs to the game so everybody can just iso whenever they want. I I do not see a spot where DeRozan
3: moves the needle in the entire mm. league, honestly. I mean, to be honest, the Knicks move to let him expire is yeah. unironically the most logical thing I've heard about DeRozan. Like I as someone who I feel pretty fair in appreciating his value is extremely low uh, especially considering his age especially considering like the way he's played in the postseason throughout his career yeah Mm -hmm. man if New York could just clear that off the books while getting rid of Randall and then having like the role player supporting cast while keeping Brunson you just have this money to like put a guy in who fits well. That moves me. Cause I do we've touched on it already. The Knicks are a good basketball team that have like pieces that a competitive team has, and then Julius Randle catches it at the top of the key, and it's just like, oh fuck. Well this is a washed possession. <laughs> and yeah, like it's tough.
4: It's also interesting because that Fournier mm-hmm. Albatross contract mm-hmm is finally expiring. So between those two, you'd be clearing almost 50 million in cap and they're over the cap right now, but like you would actually be able to go out there and sign a big time free agent and it's not a great class this year. But yeah, I mean, I think that ultimately getting rid of Julius Randle at that contract value to add a player of, you know, similar star status, but who just fits so much better and is ultimately a better player in a playoffs setting. I like that. I like that, Logan. I think that's an interesting idea. Listen, we don't have to work out all the details right now. The point is, they don't have to have Julius Randle or DeMar DeRozan in Logan's Utopia, and that's a win. Okay, Caruso, who
3: do you guys like for him? Jack, who do you like? I like the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, Who doesn't? It's a plain Jane answer. Feels like the most logical, straightforward fit. But you just look at a team that... uh, lost one of the best perimeter defenders in the NBA and lost their entire defensive identity <laughs> with it. Like, yeah. it's It was jarring to me, the way that they've played defense so far this season. I knew it was going to be bad with Damian Lillard. I knew you were going from one end of the spectrum with Drew to the complete other end, like Dame is a Trey Young-caliber defender. Uh, it's just... Yeah, like I think Carusa makes a lot of sense in terms of uh, allowing Dame to get some reprieve on the defensive end and navigating screens and things like that. And just getting their ceiling defensively back up to a point where, uh, the offense is not just, like, keeping them afloat anymore, where you have this nuclear offensive pairing of Dame and Giannis, when those guys get going, if you have Caruso on the defensive end with Giannis, with Brooke, with guys like Malik Beasley, who are, like, smart enough, know where to be, and things like that, uh, then that becomes a team that I respect a lot more in a playoff setting. Much of my respect for Milwaukee right now is just the fact that Giannis is the second best player on the planet and Dame is like a guy who gets better in the playoffs. I really don't like the basketball that they've played so far this season. I think that's a,
1: a big takeaway to have for them. I mean, they desperately need help at the point of attack. And another team that kind of fits a similar bill of that with two superstars, great offensively, need help defensively is Dallas. I kind of like Caruso there. Uh, you give up, again, I don't know exactly what trade gets it done. Jaden Hardy in a pick, Rashawn Holmes and Jaden Hardy. You know, I don't know what you throw with Chicago to get this deal done because I don't expect Caruso to have a ton of value, but... Uh, that with a pair of second rounders, a first maybe. And then, you know, because I think that's where Dallas really needs help is defensively at the point of attack, and then they need guys with size positionally, which they just don't have. In this scenario, I still think the Mavs need another bigger wing to take on three and four assignments come playoff time, but it's, ugh, it shores up your... (laughs) It shores up your 1 to 3 at least a little bit, right? Because with Luca or Kyrie in these settings, you can play Caruso at the 1 or 2 alongside them and you have Josh Green at the 2 or 3 alongside them. So you have two defensive pluses uh at well, those spots. Well, you can't play all those guys together. No, no I'm not saying Luca, Kyrie, Caruso and Josh, but I'm saying that you have a, you know, a mix and match here that you can do where you're at least not completely helpless defensively in any of your rotations again I still think the Mavs would need another wing with that but they need help there and I think Caruso checks a lot of the boxes that they need help with yeah I like it I just think I
4: have the same concern as you it's a team that is already looking for more size and athleticism in the front court and then to slide another I mean Caruso's not a small guard he's six four. he's athletic but if you're playing him and Kyrie as your backcourt in the aggregate you're getting even smaller there I don't—so so it's imperfect, but, I mean, he's a really good defensive basketball player, which they could use any of those guys. I think that the Bucks are, like, my favorite. I mean, that would be amazing. My concern with that, and it's a pretty big one, is that they literally have no assets. No. Their draft capital <laughs> through 2030 is two second-round picks <laughs> in total. So I just don't see how they make it happen. Like, unless the Bulls love Marjon Beauchamp and Andre Jackson, like, I just don't know how they do it. It would be perfect because their point of attack defense has been so bad. And Caruso is so smart offensively and he's a connector there. Like, that's just a championship basketball player. I don't know how you do that, though. So i do like the lakers for him we talked a bit about this with jason Timpf last week and he said that he wanted them to go out there and get a bigger wing if it's a jeremy grant which i do think is interesting but also a little bit tougher to make happen logistically because that's a dude who just signed a massive contract and whatnot caruso's an easy guy to move for and i think that he makes their backcourt so much more athletic He gives them another look where you have a really defense-first guy and you don't have to trot out these Russell and Reeves combinations where they have a lot of the same strengths and same weaknesses fundamentally. And I don't think you have to move that much. I mean, maybe it's Gabe Vincent and a pick. I don't know if that's a second rounder, if you do have to throw in the 2029 first, But it's not that he would fix all their problems because I still think they would need more offensive punch if we want to talk about them as real top-end contenders. But he would fix one of their big problems. And uh, that'd be pretty good because he's just a damn good winning basketball player.
3: Yeah, that'd be damn, dude, because I I really the Lakers do not have very good perimeter defenders and they have still been uh, like passable defensive basketball team because Anthony Davis has just been so good. Like, yeah, I, I don't like the schemes that they've run and like they're on their perimeter guys it feels like a lot of the times the ball handlers are getting wherever they want and Anthony Davis has just been so overwhelming on that end that like mm-hmm. your, your point guard creates an advantage boom he's there like the layup yeah. is no longer there and it's not even being attempted just because he's uh, got such an infamous reputation that like guys don't even want to take layups towards him anymore and so I think if you give him just a little help on that end like him and Caruso alone with whatever combination of players you want to throw out there I think is a really quality defense and I think uh I know we're just focusing on the trade aspect of it but uh the ceiling of the Lakers still depends on like six weeks of healthy Anthony Davis and what LeBron is able to do offensively and all that stuff but yeah, I think that's a huge step forward in the right direction for L.A. if they're able to pull it off. And it is a lot more realistic mm-hmm. than the Milwaukee yeah. trade. Milwaukee has nobody to move. Yeah.
1: When you think about all the defensive stoppers that you could have out there in one lineup, like if you ran uh, Caruso, Vando, Prince, LeBron, AD, like that's a damn good defensive lineup, man. Uh, I can almost – guys, I can almost imagine Alex Caruso in a Lakers uniform. <laughs>
4: Yeah, I'm not seeing it, but I i mean, I don't know that you could play him and Vando together. I worry a bit about the skill shortcomings there, but yeah, like the level that he's playing at, dude, I mean, if you put him with a more offensively oriented guard, if that lineup was Austin Reeves and Alice Caruso in your backcourt with the frontcourt of Prince, LeBron, and AD, I mean, that's a team that can really defend, and that's a team that does have perimeter shot making, and that's a team where if LeBron is dialed in and playing to his highest ceiling, like they would have a really good shot against anybody in the west not named denver so i think they ultimately have to do something i do like caruso as a target for them so that's all we got today jack it has been an absolute joy to have you thank you for giving us an hour and a half of your time for those of you who don't already follow jack go do so at Yoke, Joe Star everywhere really really awesome content mostly on TikTok. i'm not such a fan of the twitter but hey, kidding. <laughs> hey hey i'm just i'm just razzing you that's what we do here uh also check out the state of the league podcast which he does with some of our well at times with some of our other favorites i know you've had spawn hour on there you've had joel from pick a side you've had pablo escobal uh you've had kofi so some of the guys you guys have seen on our show we haven't had pablo escobal on but that's uh, you should that's he's a, a, he's a fun item. time that's a uh, oh new, God, new yeah.
3: permanent co-host pablo Escobar. oh me new permanent him. co-host yeah Excuse yeah me. so yeah he uh he rocks super fun um we're not dipping into the percentiles on that pod, if that gives you a, like <laughs> yeah, a, sure. a gauge of the vibes. I think this one's a little bit more mathematical-based, and I don't know, we had like a 15-minute tangent about uh, World War II on our last nice. podcast, yeah. and so I don't know. Yeah, it's fun. I'm having a lot of fun doing it, and if you enjoy basketball, you will enjoy the State of the League podcast. I can guarantee you that.
4: That's a guarantee. I don't know what your refund policy is on that if you fall short, but well put there, you come here to us for the pick and roll percentiles you go to pablo to hear which of your favorite childhood cartoon characters could have stopped 9-11 i Mm -hmm. feel like that's basically i mean is that is that a fair description of it i would say so could
3: ron from kim possible do it you know (laughs) stuff like that can we know kim can but can ron Can rufus we're getting into the nitty gritty rufus oh i loved that show actually
4: okay Uh, so that's where you can find Jack. If you guys want more of us, you can follow us across social TikTok. Nerd Sesh. Instagram is the same. Twitter at nerd underscore sesh. You can listen to the podcast across all audio platforms and you can check out our merch. What could be better for a Christmas gift, Jack, than a Nerd Sesh hat or a Nerd Sesh flag or some Nerd Sesh shirts or a Nerd Sesh hoodie? Nothing. Nothing nothing at all.
3: Nothing. Nothing. If I don't open one on Christmas morning, my (laughs) family will become a broken home. i I can promise you that and there will be no refunds i swear mom if you're listening i need a nerd sesh flag immediately please and thank you yeah no and that's the sentiment that we're carrying
4: everywhere get (laughs) nerd sesh merch for your loved ones or they will hate you and ultimately leave you okay so keep that in mind that's at the volume.com you can join our discord at our link tree across our social media bios so that's everywhere to find us one last big shout out to jack it's been great to have you on man and uh, with that, as always, I've been Carson Brabber. I've been Logan Camden. I've been Jokic
3: Joestar. Thank you for having me.
4: Yeah, you sure have. And this was Nerd Sesh.